You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the week ahead, our weekly show from On the Forecheck that talks about the upcoming opponents that the Nashville Predators are going to be facing usually featuring an interview with one of our sister sites to talk about the teams. Uh, I'm Eamon Smith. I'm a staff writer for On The Forecheck. You can find me on Twitter at JinNUC, uh, spelled like you say Saros. Um, and today I have with me Eric Seeds from Jackets Cannon. Eric, how are you doing today? Doing well, Eamon. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, not the best weather here in Auburn, Alabama, but I can't complain. It's the weekend. I have a day off this upcoming week. Uh, rather than my spring break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, we're, uh, we're scheduled to get uh, nine inches of snow between Sunday night and Tuesday morning, so it's yeah, going to be an interesting <laughs> couple days here. A little, little different down here. It's, it's pretty rainy, but it's not nearly as cold, so I'm pretty pleased about that, being somebody who's not a big fan of winter weather. Uh, we, have, we have a lot of stuff to talk about for this show today, because the Blue Jackets despite you know not being towards the top of the Central Division record-wise, are a really interesting team. There's a lot to talk about with them here. And Eric, obviously, is one of the most knowledgeable people about this team, so I felt like it was a great idea to have him on the show and talk about them. Um, you might catch a couple of rants here because they're a pretty frustrating team, much like the Predators. But uh, good to have you on the show. We'll hop right into these questions here. Uh, the first one is, Obviously, there's been a lot of newsworthy stuff coming out of Columbus this year. Um, a lot of it not so good, but I want to focus in on the big one here, which is the John Tortorella. I, I don't want to totally label it as like a scandal per se, but the big blow up that was had with Pierre-Luc Dubois earlier in the year and then the ensuing deal for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic. Um, and then recently, Laine getting benched uh, for, I believe it was like six minutes of a period. Um, and Tortorello kind of brushing it off, saying that the issue is solved. What was the deal there? And do you really feel like that issue has been resolved? Or do you think that's just Tortorella blowing smoke there? So so let's, let's start at the beginning here. Um, for those of you Nashville fans who might not be aware, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois was a restricted free agent this past offseason. Um, he signed a two-year deal with Columbus, a two-year, $5 million AAV, and immediately went public with a trade request. Like, he he signed his deal, and it, it came out within hours that, like, he wants out of Columbus. Um, initially, it was reported that he wanted to move to a bigger market, but Columbus fans and, to some extent, the team, like, the coaching staff in front office, no one has really gotten a straight answer of why does Dubois want out of Columbus? He hasn't gone public with any rationale. He, No one in his camp has leaked it. It was basically like, I just want out of here. So that's been hard from Columbus, from a Columbus perspective to accept that, you know, you're 22 year old, 23 year old number one center who was playing next to Artemi Panarin 18 months ago is now out of here. So that's, 
been fr- or now one's out of here. So that's been frustrating. Um, the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sure you guys might have seen it uh, circulating on Twitter. His last shift in Columbus, he basically uh, took his. Um, if you can give the middle finger to the coaching staff with a shift, that's what he did. He basically just went out there and kind of lackadaisically skated around and then sat on the bench. So John Tortorella benched him. It was like four minutes into a game, um, but Torts just sat him down. And then two days later, he was out the door for Patrick Line and Jack Roslovic. Um All things considered, given uh, the way Dubois was forcing the team's hand, Dubois... Uh, or uh, Yarmo Kekalina did as best he could getting uh, a goal scorer and a guy who might be a middle six center for the team going forward uh, for him. Line, it has, it is, it's no secret across the league that Patrick Line is not exactly defensively minded. Um, and that is something that John Tortorella values. So what happened with the benching, it, he was benched, um, after a shift that looked like he uh, was giving minimal effort on a goal that, uh, or on a play that led to Carolina scoring a game tying goal. Um, so Tortorella benched him for six minutes and like 19 seconds the, uh, of the second period. And then he benched him for the, also the entire third period. So in Patrick Line's fourth game in Columbus, Tortorella sat him down for a period and a half, basically. And Columbus Twitter exploded because Patrick Line is a restricted free agent this summer. And it's like, you're, you're, you're losing, you, you know, you're, first of all, we're in a tie game and you're benching a guy who can score literally anywhere from the blue line in. Second of all, this guy's a restricted free agent. And are you, are we about to really run another guy out of town? So in the moment, Columbus Twitter was extremely we need to get rid of John Tortorella immediately before we light fire to yet another bridge with a young, talented player. And we lose, you know, the second overall pick and the third overall pick from the 2016 draft. Like, are we really about to go ahead and do this? Um, The next night it was, uh, the next night it was reported by Brian Hedger of the Columbus dispatch that, uh, um, Patrick Laine wasn't benched for the effort on the ice so much as he was benched for, quote, mouthing off to an assistant coach. Um, I'm going to quote uh, the Columbus Dispatch here in, for a second. They said that an NHL source said Laine mouthed off to one of the Blue Jackets assistant coaches, um, and another source with knowledge of the situation confirmed that account. It's what it's unknown what Laine said or to whom he said it to. But whatever it was prompted head coach John Tortorella to keep the team's newly acquired star stuck to the bench in a 2-2 game. Um, A lot of fans have speculated that he uh, mouthed off. Obviously, this is just pure speculation, but um, they speculate that he mouthed off to assistant coach um, Brad Larson. Uh, Larson is in charge of the forwards for the team, and he's also in charge of running the power play, um, both of which have failed to live up to their promise. The forwards haven't, the Columbus hasn't been scoring goals this year uh, at any sort of pace. And the blue jackets power play since the start of the 2016, 17 season um, Tortorella's first full year in charge of the blue jackets. uh, The power play since that time is league worst, Uh, worse than Anaheim, worse than LA, worse than Ottawa. Uh, Columbus's power play has been God awful to watch. Uh, 
as a result of fallout of that was swift. Um, a lot, some people started pushing back and was like, you know, line eight deserved to be benched for mouthing off to a coach. Uh, a lot of people thought, still thought Tortorella was in the wrong for sitting a goal scorer down in a 2-2 game. Uh, Tortorella admitted that the, he and Line did not speak on Tuesday and then both addressed the media on practice following or on pra- following practice this past Wednesday. Line admitted that he deserved to be benched and uh, Torts basically came out and said the team is by it and said, quote, everything is fine. Obviously, I'm not in the locker room at this point. I don't know if everything is fine, but... Post game on Tuesday, or post game uh, after the benching, you had Cam Atkinson, who uh, wears a letter for this uh, team. He not he didn't say Line A deserved to be benched for mouthing off to a coach. He was questioning Line A's effort on the ice, um, and he has not you know made an apology for that. And he didn't question any other forwards out there. He didn't come out and say you know we need to be better as a group on the ice. He call, he specifically called out Patrick Line. Um, uh, after that terse press conference on Wednesday afternoon, uh, Line did play significant minutes on th- uh, Thursday night as the Jackets beat uh, the Blackhawks 6-5. to five, But um, multiple times this year, John Tortorella has alluded to the team being, quote, disjointed both on and off the ice. So while they can, while Torts can say, you know, things are fine, we're past it, and he, and to to use his inflection from the press conference, he said, uh, he said it like this: everything is fine. And you know, when you guys are, in, we've all as humans been in disagreements where we've, you know, said something, you know, we're fine, you know, just leave us alone, we're fine. Generally, in that scenario, everything is not fine. And when you keep saying things are disjointed on and off the ice, I'm inclined to believe that there's something going on in that locker room uh, that needs to be addressed or guys need to have it out and hear each other because it something seems rotten here. That on top of the not getting an answer for why Dubois wanted out, it, it just seems like something's going on in Columbus. And it's incredibly frustrating at this point to not have answers and see a coaching staff that is kind of taking certain players to task and not others. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, when I look at the blue jackets, they're a really weird team to me because so if, if you look at a locker room situation, first off, they had a lot of notable departures in the off season. Um, and during the season specifically Dubois, obviously who, if you have watched Dubois at any point, uh, prior to his trade, he's definitely a guy who goes out there and works hard on every shift. He's a young guy, but he is a good example of what a player who gives it, uh, leaves it all out there on the ice looks like. And you have that guy leaving. And then also uh, Josh Anderson, who uh, was a pretty, I, I don't want to say he was like a crucial part of this team when he was healthy, but he was a goal scorer who could play with some power to his game. Um, and from all accounts was well liked in the locker room there. Uh, Columbus has just seen a lot of shakeup over the past three years here. Um, obviously that off season where Bobrovsky and Panarin both leave. And then also, I mean, Duchesne had barely been there at all as well as Dezingle, but they both take off too. Um, the team goes into a soft rebuild of sorts on paper, but in reality, Tortorella just kind of coaches them to play hard hockey and they, uh, sneak into the play in round. It's it's just a weird team to look at here because I can totally understand why they'd be falling apart with all the roster upheaval. Um, 
But at the same time, I don't see any clear malcontents in the locker room besides maybe, I guess, Line A. But I I don't know. I've watched a couple of Columbus games since Line A's been there. Um, and he's he's been okay from what I can tell. He's not flashed any true like dynamicism or anything like that. But I don't I don't really feel like that's his game. Too many people compare him to Alex Ovechkin. And I feel like he's not even close to that kind of player. He doesn't have that kind of physicality or speed or those blinding hands that Ovi had when he was young. He's just a dude with a ridiculous shot. Um, much more of a Vladimir Tarasenko than an Ovechkin. But uh, when, when you look at the fact that they have Line now, as well as the offseason acquisition of Domi, um, with the Predators, you can kind of look at their power play being garbage and go, all right, um, they, they have guys who can shoot the puck, but they don't have a true one-timer monster unless they have uh, Ellie Tolvanen on the roster, and he's young. Um, so he's still learning how to feel out the NHL game. Uh, but with, with Columbus, you have Domi, who is an incredible passer when he's on um, and can quarterback a power play beautifully. You have Wierenski, who's a good player. Uh, I know that Seth Jones is having a down season, which we'll get to a little bit later here, but he's great. Uh, Cam Atkinson, when he's healthy and clicking, he's a great one-time option. So they have all these pieces that make you look at their power play and go, you should have at least one unit that's scoring there. And it's kind of wild to think that they're not. So if I'm Patrick Laine and I come here and I feel like I'm being used the wrong way, I'm not really shocked that he'd get mad on the bench about that. Um, Personally, just looking at Tortorella's conduct around star players throughout his career, he's poorly handled a lot of guys, especially the one that comes to mind is uh, in Tampa Bay, you're looking at Vinny LeCavalier. Um, They kind of had a contentious relationship for a little bit there. So it's pretty interesting to hear about all of the stuff going on down there. Um, Interesting to look at how that line A relationship is going to be working out. Uh, And I I really would hope to hear a little bit more information coming out on Dubois and then uh, what exactly happened with the line A benching sometime soon. But who knows if we'll ever actually hear the true story behind all of that. I, I totally agree, though, that if someone is saying, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, it's probably not fine. Uh, so something for Predators fans to watch uh, if they're going into this game is how are Torts and Line interacting on the bench? Um, is Line getting benched for periods of the game? How does he look out there in terms of effort? He's definitely a guy to key in on. You so speaking you speaking to guys turning over on the roster, uh, you know, we've had some shakeups and a soft rebuild. Um, the, you mentioned the Blue Jackets losing guys like Dubois and Josh Anderson. And in the past, they had also lost guys like Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, those were guys who brought it every single shift. And Panarin and Bobrovsky were well known in Columbus for being the hardest working guys, both on and off the ice. Um, Columbus has had a reputation in the past. And part of the reason John Tortorella was brought in of having kind of like a country club mentality. That's a word. That's a phrase that's been thrown around a lot here, um, here in town with prior, prior managements, uh, prior leadership groups in in the city. And when you see guys, what, what I would, if I was a predators fan, I would pay most super close attention to who is getting the bulk of the time in the offensive zone. If it's guys like Patrick line and Max Domi, um, got in the, if those guys are getting a lot of minutes, it means the coaching staff has kind of come around to, these are the guys that are going to, uh, get us over the hump. These are the guys that are going to win us this game. These are our young, talented players who are, um, 
who want they might not be the most defensively responsible players. They are the guys who have the talent to compensate for that. Even I would even add someone like a Jack Roslovic and Oliver Bjorkstrand onto that list. Um, Bjorkstrand leads the Blue Jackets in every scoring category this year. Um, Roslovic has points in six straight games as we go into uh, Saturday night's game here in Chicago. Uh, if those guys are going, that's who that, that that means the coaching staff has recognized that we're just going to have to score goals to win games this year. If players like Cam Atkinson, Boone Jenner, and Nick Fleener are getting the bulk of offensive zone deployment, congratulations on your two points because Columbus can. Tortorella has Tortorella under or Columbus under John Tortorella has a bad habit of falling into this trap of. These guys are the leadership group of this team. Naturally, they need to be playing in the offensive zone, um, and those guys just aren't producing this year. Up until this, uh, up until this past game, Cam Atkinson had one point at five on five this year. Uh, Nick Foligno and Boone Jenner have been absolute black holes, but they're still getting 16, 17 minutes a night, and it's incredibly frustrating to see guys like Line A ride the bench and guys who guys like Oliver Bjorkstrand not get the minutes they deserve and guys like Liam Foodie sit on the taxi squad despite being very high in expected goals numbers just because they're young and haven't quote-unquote paid their dues while Nick Foligno and Boone Jenner are black holes. Um, it's it's the biggest dividing issue among Blue Jackets fans is how Tortorella has mismanaged the roster and the talent at his disposal this year. It's It's been incredibly frustrating from a fan perspective to see guys who you know can score goals and guys who you know can uh, make things happen offensively and are just not getting the run because they might make one mistake and then all of a sudden you're not going to see it for five minutes. Yeah, uh, the foodie point is something that I probably would not have thought to have uh, brought up there, but definitely a good one. He's one of the team's top prospects. He definitely brings some dynamic skating that nobody else really does on that roster. And he looked great in the postseason last year, so I don't really understand why they would not be playing him. That's definitely an eyebrow raiser for Tortorella there. Um, the Blue Jackets' young core, for anybody who's just listening in terms of ages, Bjorkstrand, 25 or 26 years old. I can't remember which, my bad. Uh, Domi, currently 25. Roslovich uh, is 24, and Line a is 22. And then you also have Foodie off the roster, who I believe is 21 or 22 years old. So a lot of good young players there and a lot of them just aren't getting used or getting a lot of offensive zone time despite being probably the best offensive threats on the team so that's pretty interesting there uh i know predators fans are all too familiar with coaches who are married to the idea of certain guys playing a lot of heavy minutes even though they don't really deserve them or guys that are uh getting played in high leverage situations when they're not really meant for that kind of play (coughs) austin watson (coughs) so uh yeah uh Definitely something that people can empathize with there. I, I want to talk about another highly talented young player on the team who's kind of been struggling a little bit this year, Seth Jones, um, who Preds fans are obviously all too familiar with, got sent over in the Ryan Johansson trade. Uh, he's been pretty productive in Columbus. I personally am not the biggest fan of him, but I don't think that's from a perspective of, oh, he's not talented. Because I've said it on a recent uh, podcast with somebody else. I think Seth Jones is a Hall of Fame talent. I just think he doesn't apply himself the right way all the time. Um, and he's 
really, really struggled this year, especially by analytics. Um, he's never been an analytical darling, but this year especially, he's had some rough numbers. Uh, and who on the defense has kind of stepped up to fill that hole, if anybody? Uh, has there been someone who's kind of helped uh, blunt the impact of Jones having a down year? Or is it just mostly Jones is not playing well, so therefore the team is struggling because of that? Um. Has anyone stepped up in a word? No. Um, the Blue Jackets have been an absolute train wreck in their defensive zone this year. Um, Seth Jones has obviously been not great. Uh, neither has Zach Wierenski. Uh, among, uh, and, you know, Jones and Wierenski are counted on to be the Blue Jackets' uh, number one pairing. They're supposed to be, like, one of the best pairings in the NHL one of the best young pairings that can be together for a decade in uh, and when the blue jackets are truly going uh, the, that pairing is supposed to be like their engine. Those guys are supposed to play 25 minutes a night. Uh, Jones is the shutdown half of that pairing. Zach Wierenski plays a Rover position where he's allowed to step up and uh, work into the offense. And last year it worked. He led the league in uh, goals by defenseman last year with 20 goals. Zach Wierenski had an outstanding season. Uh, playing next to Jones, but uh, this year they've just been an absolute disaster. Uh, Jones and Morinsky, uh, a couple stats for you. Uh, Jones and Morinsky are fifth worst in the league in goals allowed at five on five uh, among defensive pairings with eight allowed this year. Compounding that, um, another mainstay Blue Jackets pairing, uh, David Savard and Vladislav Gavrikov, they're second worst in the league, uh, allowing 10 goals at five on five this year. Um, Jones and Wierenski also bleed scoring chances. Uh, they've allowed 100 shots against and uh, at 5-on-5 five five this year and have a shots for percentage of just 46% this year. So to say they've been bad is kind of like an understatement. They've absolutely gotten their faces caved in. Um, but I don't, I don't want to place all of the blame on the defensemen. I think a lot of blame, or at least a good portion of it, also falls on the forwards. Um, Last year, Columbus played a similar structure to what they're trying to play now, um, where they've got a lot of, uh, where they're basically trying to limit scoring chances, limit opportunities, uh, keep everything to the outside, and counter basically counterattack. They're trying to play the ideal uh, for for those of you who watch European soccer. Uh, they're trying to play Josie Mourinho soccer on ice. They, they just want to keep you to the outside, park the bus, and counterattack when appropriate. And this year, uh, because they've had a lot of turnover in the forward forward group, you know, losing Dubois, losing uh, Josh Anderson, losing, you know, you bring in guys like Max Domi and Patrick Laine, who are not known for their defensive acumen. Um, and so you're just seeing this disconnect where the forwards aren't back-checking, and it's leaving the defensemen kind of out to dry. Uh, for example, there was a goal the other night against Chicago where Seth Jones was caught in between defending Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit, and it resulted in a tap-in goal on the back post. Uh, and it looked like at the time Seth Jones had, you know, Seth Jones was out of position because he wasn't marking uh, Patrick Kane in front of the net, but he was trying to step up and mark Alex Dabrinkit to try and take a pass away. Because he had no forward support, he had no help, no no anyone there. It was basically Jones all by himself. Now, granted, Zach Wierenski has been hurt, but he Jones has been kind of left out the, 
left out on an island this year in his own zone. So it's it's kind of frustrating for Blue Jackets fans, you know, to see see the team that last year was so good not allowing goals. This year they're 24th in goals allowed per game. Um, what could help mitigate this for Jones is if he uh, starts to kind of put the puck in the net or kind of generate a little offense. If you, I, I did a little digging in prep for this podcast, and uh, if you look at Natural Stat Trick and their uh, individual expected goals, he actually leads the all NHL defensemen in individual expected goals at five on five. He uh, he also has 14 individual scoring chances and seven individual high danger chances. He just uh, hasn't scored a goal yet this year at five on five. He can't he can't buy a finish. Um, if he starts actually finding the back of the net and he gets a little positive regression that it looks like he's due based on his underlying offensive numbers, that can help mitigate some of the poor play defensively. It's so. Basically, the the entire problem with the Blue Jackets is that they're playing with very little structure in their defensive zone. It's kind of leaving the defensemen out to dry. It seems like with all of the forward turnover, they're the some of the forwards aren't understanding the responsibilities. Um, in to, like, I, I realize Patrick Line and Max Domi uh, aren't going to ever be Patrice Bergeron in the defensive zone, but they if they can just kind of pick it up from god awful to just bad the columbus might be able to score enough goals this year to win some games but they're just they're just not there right now and it looks like the coaching staff isn't doing them any favors because tortorella right now is playing guys out of position uh max domi was brought in to be the number one center right now he's the number two left wing like he's he guys are being moved all over alex texier uh a bright young talent from France is currently uh, playing fourth line right wing. He's never played right wing in the NHL in his career until this past Thursday. Uh, So there's just a lot of guys who are playing out of position, a lot of kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks as we try and get any sort of forward group out there. And guys are just miss there's, there's no communication. There's no chemistry. It's kind of hurting the defense and it's hurting communication on the ice. It's, there's just a lot of there's a lot of little things going wrong for Columbus that are adding up to a lot of big things going wrong. Yeah, there's there's a lot uh, to talk about with the forward group. I know specifically if you're just uh, talking about teams across the league that have looked like they've struggled really badly defensively, but that should be being mitigated by forward groups. The Predators are one of them where surprisingly. Uh, Matias Ekholm has looked rough this year. Ryan Ellis has looked pretty bad at points. Um, but the forward group should be providing more support. And I feel like a lot of the goals against that are happening um, on as a result of some kind of turnover or something are just the forwards in the defensive zone trying to get the puck out. They screw up a carry and they get picked. And then it's a turnover, give and go goal. Uh, something along those lines. And then also, I'm a Flyers fan. For anybody who's listening who doesn't know that already, I don't know how you don't, but uh, same kind of deal there. They have a very talented forward group. Um, they were a really good defensive team last year, and then you look at this year. Obviously, their defense core is worse, but it shouldn't be this bad. Um, it's largely just because the forwards aren't doing a good job with their back-checking or following assignments in the defensive zone. Um, but just looking at Jones again really quickly, he's third worst in the league uh, by RPM. Uh 
expected goals against per 60 at five on five, which that's a bunch of jargon for people who don't know what that means. It basically means he's given up a ton of chances for every minute that he's playing. Um, and they're all pretty valuable chances when it's at five V five, but you talked about the offense there. Um, he's never been really a dynamic offensive player for most of his career, uh, which is kind of interesting because he's definitely a guy with the skill set to be better at that. Um, I feel like though when I'm watching him play, a lot of those offensive possessions are kind of one and done um, rather than him participating in controlled cycles, stepping up in the play as much. I feel like that's much more Wierenski's game. Um, and I feel like with Jones, he, he's one of those dudes where you watch him and you're like, man, this guy is unbelievably talented. Um, and you can tell that from watching him for only a couple of minutes, let alone like I've gone back and watched a lot of his games because a lot of the analytics community is like Seth Jones is bad. And I want to know why do they think that? Um, but the, the thing I've always kind of consistently noticed with him is he, he's very much apt to just back off of somebody on a zone entry, um, which is something I've seen with uh, Dante Fabro a lot in his early career, he's kind of started to fix that and be more aggressive and confident about stepping up on guys at the line. But Jones has never really been that kind of dude. Um, he's much more apt to just kind of concede the zone entry from my eyes. Um, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to sit back in the shell. I'm going to play my uh, defensive position properly. I'm going to mark the guys that I need to mark um, and just do the the little things properly but the problem is he's allowing guys to gain the zone in the first place and then set up a cycle rather than pressuring them hip checking them at the line trying to force a turnover um and that's kind of where i feel like he has to take a step forward with his game because like if Wierenski isn't playing well and he's not driving the offense um you need to be creating turnovers rather than getting sitting back in your zone and then shelled by the other team especially if your forwards are playing poorly so Preds fans, if you're watching, um, I would definitely just kind of look for is Jones doing stuff at the blue line on entries when, uh, you know, Arvidsson is coming up as he's sealing him into the boards, forcing a turnover and going the other way. Is he jumping up in the rush? Is he doing stuff like that? Is he playing a more overall aggressive game? Because I feel like, again, Seth Jones is a Hall of Fame talent. If you just watch the stuff he's capable of doing, he's a minutes monster. He's got a great shot, great touch on passes, very physical. But I, I just I think he needs to kind of come out of his shell a little bit and be less afraid of making a mistake if it means that he can make a play the other way, make a play for the team, uh, create offense, especially on a team that's lacking so much offensive creativity like Columbus has been. Right. And part of part of what you what you speak to there with uh, sealing guys off and stepping up, I wonder how much of that is a Jones issue and I wonder how much of it is a uh Columbus, this is how you're coached to play issue. Um, if you really watch the Blue Jackets defensive group as a whole, and I encourage Predators fans to do that going forward here, um, they don't really have any defensemen who step and seal guys toward the boards. It's What Columbus likes to do is they try to force teams, they, they let teams enter the zone and try to force them to the outside and just try and keep everything into high into low risk areas and just force you to shoot from outside the circles above the circles above the dots and just kind of take weird angle shots they and then at that point they can either clear a rebound or it'll be an easy save for one of their two goaltenders as you mentioned this year that's not really working because there's a lot of miscommunication there's a lot of lackadaisical defensive work from the forward group 
and it's just you. So we haven't really. So we've seen the defensemen continue to play the structure that they're used to, but they're not getting any of the support that they are accustomed to at this point. So when you when you were speaking to defensemen stepping forward, uh, defensemen sealing guys to the boards, defensemen trying to force turnovers and uh, turn rushes the other way. Under uh, John Tortorella and defensive coach Bradshaw, that's not really something Columbus Blue Jackets fans have really ever seen. Um, a lot of uh, odd man rushes that Columbus have scored have come on turnovers once inside the zone, turnovers on and leading to breakouts, leading to three-on-twos or two-on-ones. Uh, Columbus fans aren't used to seeing like a Seth Jones step up and poke check a guy at the blue line to keep uh, keep the puck out and that lead to a half chance from a Cam Atkinson or Oliver Bjorkstrand. That's just not something we're used to seeing as fans. And frankly, watching other teams play that way is frustrating because Columbus, as you mentioned, have have the talent to play that way. We've got Zach Wierenski back there. Vladislav Gavrikov has looked very good. Seth Jones is obviously a Hall of Fame talent who at who could be like peak Eric Carlson if he were truly to do that, if he wanted to step up and play that way, if he wanted to step forward and uh, really utilize uh, the best of his skills. But Jones isn't really the youngest defenseman any, anymore. I mean, he's going he's going to be 27 years old uh, next season when by the time next season rolls around. Like he is it just kind of the guy he is at this point is and we you've you've mentioned the issues that he has with the analytics community of how he bleeds chances and just happens to play his position well and utilize his positioning size and strength to keep guys off the ice. It's kind of like I don't want to say he's a better Jack Johnson, but it's I'm starting to really worry. Like, is 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 Seth Jones just this guy who concedes chances, but is a minutes monster? Who the minute one of his elite skills leaves him, he's kind of toast. It's it's worrying for Blue Jackets fans to be totally honest with you, because a lot of fans are wondering what in what in the world is wrong with this guy this season. What why has a guy who was the darling of the NHL community maybe not the analytics community in the bubble, but he was the darling of a lot of the media in the playoff bubble. Now he suddenly looks like someone who has just fallen off a cliff. It's always been very weird to me, the amount of love that Seth Jones has gotten, because I feel like even when he's been at his best, he's just a guy where he plays very low event hockey, um, which like, sure, that's very entertaining. I guess I can understand where it's coming from because he was a guy who's projected to be the first overall pick as a defender, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and then he fell into the Predators' lap. He was part of a high-profile trade. So obviously there have been some eyes on him, and he's one of the better young talents that Columbus has ever had. But like, he's just never really been all that dynamic of a player aside from the one year where he had like 40-something points, I want to say, and people were like, next year's the year that Seth Jones wins the Norris and he establishes himself as an elite defenseman who's like better than Victor Hedman or whatever. And I was like, I don't know that I see that happening. But uh, again, one of those guys where you look at the development cycle for him um, and how the teams kind of implemented him. Uh, Predators obviously are notorious for bringing guys along slow and playing young players in depth roles when maybe they have more skills so they should be played higher in the lineup with more offensive zone starts. I feel like Jones kind of got pigeonholed as the guy where it's like, all right, you're going to go out there, you're going to play 30 minutes a night, and you're not going to make a mistake that makes the coach yell at you and get pissed off. Um, 
like I call that Travis Sandheim syndrome, uh, where a player is doing all the right things across the board, uh, but then they make one or two really glaring mistakes so people think they're bad. And Seth Jones is kind of the reverse of that, where he doesn't do anything that sticks out to you that's negative. Um, but he'll just kind of get shelled because he's constantly giving up the zone. And then even when he's in the zone, like I know you talked about Columbus likes to force shots to the perimeter. They're not going to step up on guys at the line. Even when he's in the zone, I feel like he's not very aggressive on the puck and he's just kind of content to be like, all right, I'm blocking the shooting lane. I have the ability to get a stick in a passing lane. Um, I'm not going to go after the guy and try to pressure him. Uh, maybe that's just a system thing, in which case Torts should probably have been on his way out already at this point um, if you're wasting the talents of Jones like that. But I, I do think it's fair to look at him at this point and be like, is this just what he is? Um, is he maybe uh, just kind of a worse Mark Edward Vlasic where he's very solid positionally um, and he can make the occasional standout defensive play, but he's not going to really contribute anything offensively. He's just out there to eat minutes and not make mistakes, uh, which I feel like has kind of been the trend of Blue Jackets hockey for a lot of John Tortorella's time there is just he's more concerned with the team not making mistakes rather than the team going out there and actually producing or creating something. And that's kind of a flaw inherent to his system. It absolutely is, which is why I have been I have long been on the John Tortorella needs to go bubble um, or side of the bubble. He uh, he was the right guy to come in and kind of change the attitude of the team after um after Todd, uh, Todd Richards left, uh, a team that was clearly, you know, John Tortorella was brought in initially to kind of right the ship and kind of, you know, hold people accountable. But we're going on like year six of John Tortorella, and we have seen the absolute ceiling of this team under him. And I, frankly, I, I as a Blue Jackets fan, I, I am the, the the opinions on this issue are split, but I have absolutely had it with this brand of hockey, and I'm willing to see what another coach who's available could do with this talent on this roster, possibly better deploy it, uh, possibly utilize it in more creative ways. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's all pretty fair there. I feel like um, I, I can understand why some fans don't want to let go of Tortorella just yet. Cause he let you guys to your first playoff series win. Um, and, you know, obviously that was a pretty huge upset. And then, uh, he is the winningest coach in Blue Jackets history. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and he's had some of the best moments in this franchise's history under his tenure. So I can understand why people are looking at him and being like, should we let him go just yet? Is that really the right decision to make here? But uh, I feel like at some point with any NHL coach, uh, the Predators had to make this decision with Peter LaViolette, as we are all too familiar with over here. Um, a guy can still be winning at a decent clip um they can still be getting all right production out of their team i i guess the better example here is probably barry trotz where trotz was a great coach in nashville for forever but at some point you just need to try something different um if it's not working for so long like torts has been there for six years you just said uh trotzy was there for i believe like i want to say he was there from 1998 until 2012 uh something like that so he was there for forever and great coach the whole time but he just could never get the team all the way over the hump so they're like we got to try something different um and obviously for the predators that worked out uh within the next couple of years there laviolette takes them to a cup final they go to a president's trophy run so even though that didn't end up totally working out in the end laviolette kind of burned bridges and 
the team is still recovering from that. Uh, it was at least worth it for that chance to shake things up, watch a different brand of hockey, uh, try to make something new click with these players. And I feel like if, if you're a Blue Jackets fan who's listening to this, you kind of need to keep an open mind with that because like nobody thought that Trotz was a bad coach when he was leaving. I don't think anybody could look at John Tortorella and be like, he's an objectively bad coach because he's not had the most talented rosters while he's been in Columbus and he still managed to make them playoffs every single year, pretty much. Uh, maybe they don't win a ton of games in the postseason, but they're at least making it, uh, which was kind of a hallmark of the Trotz era. I'm drawing a lot of parallels here between these two coaches, but they're very different personalities. Um, but anyways, uh, you, you kind of just need to be more open to letting somebody new come in just for the sake of, we got to try something different. Um, as you said, this team has probably seen their ceiling under Tortorella. It's worth testing something new out. Um Speaking of some new stuff with the team, uh, I want to talk about the goalies because they're both, one of them is a fresh face that we kind of only just got to know in the last season in the NHL. And then one of them is a guy who uh, has been in the NHL for a bit here, but nobody really in the wider community, I don't think, knew that much about him or cared that much about him until this past postseason uh, when he had a couple of outstanding performances, specifically in that game against the Lightning. Uh, that went to five overtimes. I'm talking about the goaltenders here. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens, who was a rookie last year, had an incredible start. Um, looked like he could be heavily in the Calder voting there and then kind of started to tail off a little bit at the end of the year, not really playing below average, but just having a good season. Um, and you had Yunus Corposalo, who, uh, or I don't know, maybe it's Yunus Corposalo. I've heard it said both ways, but uh, he's he's more of an NHL veteran at this point. Um, has always been considered one of the more talented backup goalies in the league. And now they're kind of splitting the net here a little bit, as far as I know, heading into the season, at least that was the idea. Um, I just want to ask, have either of themselves kind of asserted the number one spot, or is it just kind of an even split at this point? Um, and then also you've talked about the team is playing poorly right now. Are they playing well despite that? Or is it uh, you're seeing some cracks in uh, the young Merzlikens there or Corpusalo kind of falling back down to earth after his playoff performance. So uh, going into this season, um, most fans, based on the bubble performance of uh, Eunice Corpusalo, uh, everyone here seems to assume it's Eunice. Uh, I can't speak for certain, but when they announce it in the arena, they say Eunice, so I'm going to go with that. Um, Eunice uh, Corpusalo has been or was expected to be the guy, uh, especially for anyone who might have seen his 85 save performance in the bubble in the five overtime loss to Tampa. He looked he looked pretty good there. But uh, this season, Torts has been pretty adamant about sticking to a true rotation. Uh, he's basically played each guy every other game, regardless of how well he played the game before. Uh, the exception to that has been recently, uh, Elvis Merzlikens has been on injured reserve. He, re- he only came off like this morning as we record this, he, uh, he took a puck in the like neck to head area in practice and went down immediately and was on IR later that afternoon. I'm not sure the team has been kind of coy if it was a concussion issue or if he just got like struck in a weird way, but he uh, he came off IR recently. He's not going to play in Chicago Saturday night. Uh, Corpus Hall is going to make another start in Chicago, so it's likely that we'll see Elvis uh, sometime next week to uh, as he gets his legs back under him and starts practicing and skating. Um, other than that, no guy has really 
shown out or really earned the position uh, by playing time. Uh, either Neither guy has really stepped forward and really claimed the position. Both guys have had moments where they've played well. Both guys have had games where they've been where they've uh, just given up a lot of goals. Uh, Corpusalo gave up five goals in a win against Chicago on Thursday night. Uh, as we uh, detailed earlier, not all of the goals were his fault. Some of him, some of them were guys out of position and just there for tap in goals. But sometimes he's left juicy rebounds. It's kind of a hallmark of his that he just leaves rebounds out in the middle of the ice and guys can just hammer them home. And then uh, Elvis has looked good in spurts this year. And then he had a game against, ironically, Chicago earlier this year where he uh, he tr- he got caught in possession behind the net twice on two different occasions and gave up goals on both uh, both times. Like he he tried to play the puck behind the net and turned it right over to various Blackhawks who were just able to bury wide open tap ins from the slot. So goaltending has been fine this year both uh columbus's five on five save percentage is above average or just right above it but it's kind of fallen back down to earth of late they, like the five on five save percentage was a 930 two weeks ago and now it's fallen back down to like a nine uh 905 save percentage just a hair over league average so neither guy has really made an outstanding impression both guys have had moments. Both guys have had. Uh, both guys have had moments where they've looked great. Both guys have had moments where they've looked pretty terrible. To be honest with you, uh, the biggest thing is this year. Um, both goaltenders are in the final year of two-year deals. Uh, or, or, excuse me, both guys are in the first year of two-year deals. Um, both of whom will be uh, unrestricted free agents at the end of it. So this coming off season, it seems incredibly likely that the franchise is going to need to pick one of the two. And I wonder if that's why guys, why they're getting so much rotation and so much ice time just to kind of give each guy an opportunity to showcase as best he can their talent and why they should be the guy going forward. So that seems to, that's kind of the Columbus goaltending situation. They might have, two NHL goaltenders, they might have two highly talented backups, or one guy might assert himself here the rest of the way. We're just kind of uh, riding the... uh, We're just kind of holding our breath to see what happens. Yeah, uh, for those listening, uh, Merzlikens, 26, Corpusalo also 26, despite Corpusalo having a lot more time in the NHL over the course of his career. Uh, It's kind of interesting just looking at the underlying numbers for the two of them. Very similar, both of them in the negative for goals saved above expected. But uh, Merzlikin seems to have the better overall numbers. The, the difference here, though, I feel like is that uh, he's got a much smaller sample size, six games played compared to 10, a uh, lot less total ice time there. So kind of kind of a little bit different between the two of them. But I, I definitely feel like watching them. Um, Corpusalo to me, has kind of shown what he's going to be in the NHL at this point. Um, I know that that's a big declaration to make for a goaltender because there's such a crapshoot of a position. They can change at any time. Uh, we've seen with Pecorine kind of the ups and downs of that. He's been consistently great over his career, of course, but uh, kind of in his late career, he looked like he was starting to tail off, works on his mechanics for a summer, and then boom, he's a Vezina caliber goalie again. Um, so you never know with that position what's going to happen. You could have a Tim Thomas or whatever. Uh, but uh, I... I feel like if you look at the two of them, Merzlikens, uh, in a smaller sample size, albeit, uh, 
has been the better goalie between the two of them. So I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't been able to pull away very much. I feel like that's uh, kind of telling of how the organization feels that uh, two of them uh, are on a talent level because Corpusalo has had ample opportunity to uh, take the net at this point. Uh, Merzlikens didn't come in until later that year. If I'm remembering correctly, he was not on the roster to start the year. So uh, I, I don't know. It feels like that game in the postseason is kind of sticking in everybody's heads at this point, but maybe it's not a totally deserved reputation that Junis Corposalo is uh, this elite talent anymore. Maybe he just is what he is, which is a pretty solid backup that can win you some good games, but he's not a high quality starting caliber goaltender. Right. I no, I would totally agree with you there. Um what what sticks in a lot of uh I what I'm sure sticks in the front office's mind and in fans' minds is Corbisalo won his first start last season. Uh last year was the first year Elvis came over to the NHL. He was under contract in the uh Finnish league and he would he had made this whole big name over in Europe that he was this he was the most talented goaltender not in the NHL so he comes over and in the first game on the second night of a back-to-back in Columbus he lays an egg and allows seven goals of the Pittsburgh Penguins whether that was fair or not or it was deserved on him uh whether all those goals were on him he he was left in the net for the entire night allowed seven goals, and then he really didn't see the ice again for another three solid weeks. Uh, Corpus Allo played a monster stretch um, in the first half of the season last year, uh, Was ended up getting hurt in a shootout before the All-Star game, uh, or shortly after being named the All-Star game, and then uh, Elvis was basically forced to take the net, and then he was the one of the stars of the month for last January, uh, going 8-0 with like a 1.5 goals against average. So Elvis, when he had no choice but to take the net, took the net and made it his own. And then he was hurt um, right as uh, Corpusala was coming back. He got hurt and was uh, forced to the injured reserve. And based on uh, Corpusala being named an all-star, Corpusala was named the starter going into the bubble. So then Corpusalo went into the bubble, uh, played well. The Blue Jackets beat Toronto in five games. Elvis got hurt in one of the games against Toronto. So Corpusalo was forced to be the starter going into uh, the Tampa series. Obviously, he has that monster game. And then Corpusalo has kind of just been the guy since then because Elvis has had a couple injury issues. One one was the muscle issue, or they've both they've both been like kind of muscle issues, and then he had obviously the puck he took to the head and neck area in practice, which, um, you know, obviously you want to be concerned and protect that and make sure the guy is okay coming back from a head injury, given the NHL's history of head injury uh, treatment. Um, I tend to agree with you in that Elva or uh, Eunice Corpusalo has at this point shown what he is. He's a goaltender with a career. 905 to a 910 average who's going to be fine but he's not going to go out and steal you four games in a row he's not going to be Sergei Bobrovsky he's clearly not going to be Carey Price or anything like that where it and he's a goaltender who um relies on his athleticism almost to a fault he leaves himself out of position a lot leaves a lot of juicy rebounds and just relies on his athleticism to save him so the second his athleticism dips he um, 
he's going to struggle in the NHL. Uh, I fans in the coaching staff and myself personally have always viewed Elvis kind of more as the technically sound goaltender. He's just, you know, this is his second year on NHL ice. The first year was obviously cut short by COVID. So he's, he's playing his second year on NHL ice and is kind of adjusted to the game. He's come off a couple injuries, but his very, this is where I admit my bias. I'm very much in the Elvis should have the net if he's healthy camp. Elvis, Elvis to me raises the floor of the team a little more than Corpusalo does. He is more technically sound, is more able to control the flow of play. He is able to play the puck. He is able to communicate more effectively with his defensemen, and he is able to control rebounds. He's able to control uh, where shots come in. He's able to – he just sees the ice better. I feel like Elvis is the better goaltender. He just hasn't really gotten the shot and had the health luck that he needs to really demonstrate those skills going forward for the franchise. Yeah, I've always looked at Corpusalo as kind of like a poor man's Pecorine, where he's definitely a guy who uses his frame and the speed and everything rather than being super technically sound. I know that was a common criticism of Rene early in his career was this dude is one of the most freakish athletes the NHL has ever seen. He's a giant who can move like that. He looks like freaking Gumby on half these saves, but he's out of position for a lot of them. The difference between the two of them, I felt like though, was uh, one, Rene was coached by Mitch Korn. Um, so there was always a lot of technical improvement going on on a continual basis. I haven't seen a ton of improvement from uh, Corpusalo. Like Rene had some rebound issues earlier in his career, and then he cleaned them up pretty rapidly and became one of the best rebound control goalies in the league. Um, the other thing is that Corpusalo is pretty bad at playing the puck, whereas Rene was maybe the best goalie in the league at doing that for most of his uh, productive stretch of his career. Um, which doesn't seem to be over, by the way, because he's been playing lights out recently. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the thought that I had too, is like Merzlikens just seems to be a much more calm, collected goalie who can win more games on a night-to-night basis. And I feel like they should be giving him the net at this point. Um, you talked about how he should be coming back in the next week or so. So maybe the Predators see him in the second game of those two matchups between them and the Blue Jackets. Uh, hopefully so, because I really like watching Elvis play, and I know a lot of people on our staff love him just because his first name is Elvis, and that's awesome. Uh, but that that kind of concludes what we're going to talk about for today's show. Um, good interview here with Eric, obviously, for those of you who have stuck around, a lot of good information here. And I just want to take the time to plug you, uh, where can people find you, and where can people uh, be looking for your work, and then what should they be reading from uh, Jackets Cannon? So you can find me on Twitter at Eric underscore seeds. It's a private account, but just request to follow me. I'm fun. Uh, you, you're going to see a lot of complaining about John Tortorella, but we, uh, but you know, that's, that's to be expected with a coach who's been there for a long time and the team is kind of underachieved. You can also follow our site account at CBJ Cannon and read us on jacketscannon.com. Uh, the blue jackets play before we play the predators next week, we have a two game set with the, Carolina Hurricanes were coming off a two-game set with the Chicago Blackhawks, so there's uh, a lot of content coming here. Uh, I recently put up an article on Friday that was incredibly divisive among Blue Jackets fans. All you need to do is read the comments and Twitter replies to find that, but I have officially called for the uh, firing of John Tortorella. Um, 
it's just it's time to move on from from the guy. He his his welcome has run out. Uh, there's the, the drama and ensuing mess surrounding the team. It's just time to finally part ways. Um, the blue, yeah, like I said, we play Carolina, and then we obviously vi- we obviously have a set with the Nashville Predators. Uh, give us a listen on the Canon Cast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and we're happy to discuss uh, the the drama team, the drama filled hockey team that we may be we not be we may not be number one in the division, but we are definitely number one in NHL.com headlines this season. So, give us a shout. Uh, let us know your thoughts. We're very excited to uh, have a robust discussion with you on any issues surrounding the Blue Jackets, Tortorella, the Predators, anything you want to talk about. Uh, come find us at jacketscannon.com, uh, at cbjcannon, and at and I'm at Eric underscore Seeds. All right. Well, thank you. Um, everybody go check him out. Go read stuff over at Jackets Cannon. They make a lot of great stuff. Um, I especially have enjoyed uh, the breakdowns of the failures of John Tortorella, kind of cathartic for me as somebody who watched him coach the Rangers in division and that Tampa team that beat the Flyers in 2004. Um, Not a big fan of his, but I I respect him as a coach. I feel like he does do some good things, even if his system does wear out its welcome a lot of the time. But go go read everything that Eric's putting out over there. if you want to be up to date on what's going on with this roster, read their trade pieces, um, read the stuff about the season previews, looking at the forward group, defensive group, goaltenders, stuff like that. Some of that stuff has changed, but not a ton of it. Um, that's why you go read the trade pieces and listen to the podcast. It's a great way to stay informed about stuff going on around the central division. If you really want to be fully informed for this upcoming uh, two game series and for the rest of the season, Uh, You should definitely go check that out because they're going to be talking about the most relevant issues to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So you'll have an even deeper understanding of that team going in, which I know Predators fans are always looking to be more informed. So good for you. Go look to that. Um, Go listen to that. Uh, But that'll that'll wrap up our show for today. Again, I'm Eamon Smith. I'm a staff writer on The Forecheck. You can go read our stuff at onthefourcheck.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to uh, or wherever you're listening from, sorry. And have a great week, everybody. Go Preds.